Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The Guardian. Welcome to Politics Weekly Extra. I'm Jonathan Friedland. A tale of two Republican women is what we're telling this week. On the one hand, Liz Cheney, holder of one of the most fabled names in the Republican Party, firstly in her own right as a congresswoman from Wyoming, but also as the daughter of the former vice president, Dick Cheney. Liz Cheney was once a power in the land among Republicans, but in May, she was booted out of the Republican leadership in the House of Representatives because she was one of those handful of Republicans who had voted to impeach Donald Trump for his role in provoking the January the 6th attempted insurrection on Capitol Hill. It is an indication of where the Republican Party is, and I think that the party is in a place that we've got to bring it back from, and we've got to get back to a position where... And, on the other hand, right at the other end of the Republican hierarchy is Marjorie Taylor Greene. I will fight harder than anyone else to defend your freedoms and hold them accountable and fight hard to make sure that Nancy Pelosi and the squad and the radical Democrats in the House do not steal anything away from America. Only elected to Congress in November to represent the 14th Congressional District of Georgia, she was an avowed follower of the QAnon conspiracy theory, often sharing various aspects of that and some pretty wild claims, including calling past school shootings hoaxes. Well, she was hauled before her colleagues earlier this year and said she now no longer believed in the QAnon conspiracy theory, said that no longer represents me, these are words of the past, but she didn't apologise for it and she's continued to say some wild, controversial and offensive things and we're going to get into some of those. And yet she has not been fully shunned by the Republican leadership. They have not suspended her or expelled her. So what explains this? Why the huge difference between the treatment meted out to Liz Cheney and the treatment meted out to MTG? I've been speaking to my colleague, Joni Grieve, who anchors the Guardian US Politics live blog, watches this all unfold minute by minute. And I began by asking Joni when MTG got on her radar and how on earth did Marjorie Taylor Greene ever become a member of the United States Congress? 
Right. So Marjorie Taylor Greene started attracting a lot of attention in uh, the uh, primary season of 2020 because of her statements uh, supporting the anti-Semitic conspiracy theory QAnon. And uh, there was a lot of um, concern among uh, people, particularly in Georgia, her home state, that if she won her primary, she could easily win a seat in the House of Representatives because her congressional district is so overwhelmingly conservative. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. She was able to win her primary and uh, went on to win the general election, which is how we have her as a congresswoman today. And when you mention QAnon, I mean, people, our listeners, of course, know about that. But I always think there's there's sort of degrees of QAnon faith. Uh, and there are people who literally believe there is a figure called Q who is going to sort of come back and put Donald Trump back in to the White House. And, and then, as you say, there's all kinds of other theories that it is a weirdly kind of Jewish conspiracy theory. Where is she on that spectrum? What does she actually believe? I never once said during my entire campaign, QAnon, I never once said any of the things that I am being accused of today during my campaign. I never said any of these things since I have been elected for Congress. Right. So as as a sort of base understanding for QAnon, uh, there are many different uh, kind of offshoots of QAnon, but the basis of it is that uh, its supporters believe that there is a, a conspiracy of uh, prominent Democrats to basically prey on children and uh, that uh, they see and the supporters see figures like uh, Donald Trump as helping to protect against this like vast conspiracy. And so before she came into office, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene had said some statements in support of uh, that uh, conspiracy theory or had liked some comments on social media that uh, aligned with the QAnon conspiracy theory. And if this Congress is to tolerate members that condone riots that have hurt American people, attacked police officers, occupied federal property, burned businesses and cities, but yet wants to condemn me and crucify me in the public square for words that I said and I regret a few years ago. After she uh, came uh, into office, she kind of walked those back a little bit. She said that she regretted uh, posting about the conspiracy theory on social media, which, of course, is not an outright denunciation of the theory itself. But she has tried to tread a little bit more carefully in that respect since um, since taking office. But it should be noted that she has never outright denounced the theory itself. And when you say about social media, I mean, she has said some wild things on social media, as you say, before she got elected. I mean, including, I think, on Facebook, uh, echoing calls for endorsing the notion of executing, literally murdering Democratic, as in capital D, prominent Democratic politicians. That's right. Yes. She has liked uh, face, uh, social media comments that uh, call for the execution of uh, politicians like Hillary Clinton and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And on top of that, she has also uh, can voice support for um, completely baseless conspiracy theories that mass shootings like those at um, the uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland and uh, in Las Vegas, that those were uh, staged operations. And when those comments came to light, it was when really the, the big push started to remove her from her House committees in February. Well, let's talk about, I mean, we, we could carry on going through the kind of greatest hits of 
MTG and and we will talk about some of them, some of the crazy things. I mean, frankly, she has said when wildfires were ravaging California, she suggested that the cause of those might be a Jewish space laser, literally a laser beaming from space controlled by a prominent Jewish family was responsible for wildfires in California. I mean, you really could go right through that catalogue. Let's just talk a bit about what you touched on there, which is how the Republican leadership have grappled with what to do with her and there was this vote in february uh where because the democrats are in majority in the majority in the house of representatives i think they plus just 11 republicans did vote to remove uh green from all her committee roles but that means that leaves a whole lot of republicans if only 11 voted to strip her of those roles that's a whole lot of republicans who voted in effect to keep her in those positions uh, i mean what is the, the the politics of why the republicans in congress are not running a mile from marjorie taylor green but rather sort of a bit conflicted about what to do about her after some of those comments came to light there were many uh, uh democrats and a handful of republicans in congress calling for her to be removed from her two house committees Today, the House will vote to remove Representative Green from her seat on Education and Labor and the Budget Committees. And House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy condemned the statements that she had made, but did not support removing her from her committees, which then forced House Democrats to hold a uh, chamber-wide vote on the matter. And a, uh, as you noted, 11 Republicans voted with Democrats to remove her from her committees. You would think that the Republican leadership in the Congress would have some sense of responsibility to this institution. The Republican Party has decided that it is not to their political benefit to uh, punish uh, their members who make outlandish and uh, sometimes dangerous claims like those that Marjorie Taylor Greene has made. Yeah. And what's your read for why they are wary of doing that? Whereas, as you say, in the past, they were rather quicker to act. I think that Republican Party leaders are dealing with the reality that in many ways their base is actually closer to the Marjorie Taylor Greens uh, of the world than they are to, for example, the Liz Cheney's of the world. When you look at uh, polls of uh, the Republican Party base, more than half of Republicans believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump through widespread voter fraud. That is, of course, a complete lie, and it has no actual relationship to reality. And yet more than half of the Republican Party believes it. And near about a quarter of Republicans uh, support um, theories related to the um, QAnon conspiracy theory. And so it's really they are in the difficult position of knowing that their party base supports politicians like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, more than uh, politicians like Liz Cheney. I mean, that, the, the word it sort of seems to come down to is essentially fear, isn't it? That Republicans in Congress, they fear the pro-Trump base. And that's why they turned on Liz Cheney, because she had voted for Trump's impeachment, and feel wary of throwing the book at Marjorie Taylor Greene, because they think the base is, it's basically Donald Trump's party now, and the base will not tolerate action against Trump or Trump-like people. Yes, I think that's exactly right. 
everything comes down to, does this help us or hurt us when it comes to winning back Congress next year? The matter of, is there a moral obligation to um, punish someone for making anti-Semitic and um, xenophobic comments? That doesn't really factor into the calculus, it seems. Everything seems to come down to, will this help us or hurt us in the, the elections next year? And I, it seems like they've decided that it would do them more harm in that respect to actually punish uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene for these comments. Yeah. So all of this was in the air already uh, uh, because of things she had said in her past about QAnon or Jewish space lasers. These questions were already being asked, but they come. They have come to a head in recent days because of something she said, which in a way has even people who had got pretty inured to uh, MTG's uh, views on things, even they did kind of drop their jaw when they saw her most recent statement. And that did prompt at least some kind of rebuke from the Republican leadership. Why don't you just remind us what she said and how the party leadership reacted? You know, we can look back in a time in history where people were told to wear a gold star and they were definitely treated like second class citizens, so much so that they were put in trains and taken to gas chambers in Nazi Germany. And this is exactly the type of abuse that Nancy Pelosi is talking about. Sure. So in an interview, Marjorie Taylor Greene made the extremely offensive argument that uh, coronavirus-related restrictions were similar to uh, the uh, restrictions that were placed on Jewish people during the Holocaust. Uh, specifically, she compared uh, the uh, requirement to wear masks on the House floor to uh, Jewish people being forced to wear yellow stars uh, during the uh, Nazi regime. Uh, that immediately sparked intense outcry from members of both parties, mostly Democrats, but also a handful of Republicans who uh, said that it was utterly despicable to compare uh, recommendations from uh, public health experts to the Holocaust that resulted in the murder of six million Jewish people. Yeah, I mean, it was, I have to say, it was just a stunner because partly because she said in a tweet, she called it gold star, as if these were, as if to be Jewish in the 1930s and 40s was to be a pupil in a primary school where you get a gold star rather than a yellow star. I mean, they couldn't be more opposite. And yet she said it and it appeared, I think, to sort of double down in the war of words that then was unleashed between her and Kevin McCarthy. Just talk us through what he did eventually. And I'm using the word eventually advisedly because I think it did take some time. But what he eventually did say to her and what she said back. Right. So House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy did eventually, several days after she first made the uh, comparison, he did eventually condemn her statements. He said it was appalling to compare uh, the Holocaust to coronavirus restrictions. But in terms of any actual concrete steps to punish her for that, potentially a you know a formal reprimand or even some Democrats have called for a censure, he has not made any movement to try to make that happen. So it seems like, as he has done in the past, he is going to stick to making um, critical comments about uh, in response to Green's behavior, but not really take any meaningful steps to try to uh, punish her for those comments. That, that's an interesting calculation there because it suggests that it's not just a minority of the Trump base who would be with uh, Taylor Green here, but actually 
I suppose McCarthy must be thinking most Trump supporters who they need, as you explained, to vote Republican in November 2022 would actually agree with Marjorie Taylor Greene on this, be sympathetic with her. He doesn't think it's only a fringe of Trump world that thinks like this. McCarthy must think this is how most Trumpists now see the world. Right. Yeah. And I think that Green really embodies this new philosophy of the Republican Party that comes down to basically just own the libs. You know, this idea that the entire party is based around uh, kind of causing outrage on uh, on the left. And you see that Green's antics work with the Republican Party because in the first three months of her congressional tenure, she raised three million dollars. Most of that came from small dollar donors. So it is clear that she has sway with you know, with the Republican Party base, and she, it is clear that there are people in the in the Republican Party who are actually rooting for her to make these kind of outrageous comments. I mean, one thing that's striking when you hear that, of course, we un- we expect in a way now that the universe, the Republican universe, to su- to support somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Perhaps we have become used to that, but in some ways, it's slightly more shocking the reaction on the Democratic side. I know that Brad Schneider of Illinois, congressman, has introduced a censure resolution against Taylor Greene. That's just a sort of big congressional condemnation, but quite noticeable that the top party officials in the Democratic Party, Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House, have stopped short of of calling for uh, Taylor Greene to be expelled, for example, from Congress, and, and preferring instead to say that, you know, she should just keep her mouth shut. I mean, we get the fear on the Republican side, Joni, but explain to us why Democrats would hesitate at throwing the book you know, and throwing it really hard at uh, MTG. Right. So I think that there is some hesitation among uh, among Democrats to throw more attention on Marjorie Taylor Greene. Of course, they've condemned her her uh, most recent comments um, about the Holocaust. But I think that there is some fear that if they try to punish her again, as they did in February when they removed her from her committees, that they may end up actually kind of fueling her rise, giving her even more attention in the form of, for example, a censure vote. Yeah, so in other words, you create a kind of Republican martyr, um, potentially, and she's already so massive in the kind of Fox News and one American news network world, you don't want to make her even bigger. I thought, you know, you do sort of get that. It leads to an interesting contrast, though, doesn't it? Because it means that even Democrats who were very, very quick to deal at leadership level, to deal with accusations, for example, of anti-Semitism when they appeared on their own side, you know, and Speaker Pelosi did ask, for example, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar to apologise when she made comments, I think, suggesting that, uh, you know, support for the pro-Israel organisation APAC was, in her words, all about the Benjamins, all about money. And, you know, that seemed to a lot of people to have an unfortunate echo and their historical echo. And Nancy Pelosi was right on that, and yet not going in for the jugular when it comes to somebody on the other side of the political aisle. 
Right. Yes. And I think that uh, Republicans have certainly jumped on that uh, on that dynamic as well. I think that one of the reasons why actually um, uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy condemned Green's latest comments about the Holocaust is because Republicans have been trying more recently to uh, paint uh, Democrats as uh, anti-Semitic because many progressives are have voiced criticism of Israel during the recent uh, vi- uh, attacks between uh, Israeli forces and Hamas in Gaza. And so uh, it is definitely a dynamic that Republicans are eager to jump on. Uh, and they're hoping to use that to their benefit as they look ahead to the 2022 midterms is that they are trying to paint uh, Democrats as uh, anti-Semitic. And so uh, that's why Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments, I think, uh, did spark some form of um, you know, statement, at least from McCarthy condemning her that uh, comparison because uh, it didn't exactly help their efforts to uh, level those kind of allegations against Democrats. Let me just crystallise all of this um, into the question that's on my mind, which is when I saw her making that remark and, you know, with her botched history about gold stars and, and, and the hideous comparison between actually having a great thing, which is being vaccinated rather than the terrible thing of being persecuted and earmarked for genocide as Jews were in the 1930s. I sort of found myself thinking, what on earth is it going to take for Republicans to shun Marjorie Taylor Greene? If this doesn't do it, what would it take? And what's your own answer to that question? Well, I think that it would take a major party reset, and we aren't really seeing any signs that that's going to happen. You know, when you compare the ousting of Liz Cheney as a, a House Republican conference chair to the sort of tepid criticism of uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I think it becomes clear that the Republican Party thinks that their thinks that their future lies more with the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, and so in order for them to abandon her, it would really kind of require a whole party reset where they reconsider not just their, you know, lack of punishment for Marjorie Taylor Greene, but also their wholehearted support for Donald Trump and uh, and his policies. And so I think that it would take something very much larger than Marjorie Taylor Greene to actually spur some kind of um, like a, some kind of proper rebuke of her and her comments. And there's just really no sign as of yet that that's going to happen. Joni, whenever people come on the podcast, we always like to ask a what else question. And that's why tonight, in front of so many friends and supporters, I am proud to announce I am a Republican candidate to be the next Texas Attorney General. And this caught my eye in the last uh, few days, which is that George P, not George W, but George P. Bush, who is the last remaining Bush family member in public office, obviously a family that's given the United States not one but two presidents, uh, has launched a primary challenge, did that on Wednesday, against the uh, Texas Republican incumbent Attorney General Ken Paxton. Uh, But fascinatingly, that here's somebody from the Bush dynasty, which in a way a lot of people saw as the embodiment of the Republican Party before Donald Trump. And we know lots of Bushes had fairly dim views of Donald Trump. And yet, uh, from what we read, George P. Bush plans to run as a Trump Republican. 
Right. Yes. So uh, George P. Bush is running against, as you mentioned, um, the incumbent Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton. And Paxton uh, comes with a lot of baggage. He's uh, been facing uh, securities fraud charges for uh, the past several years. But Paxton is a very pro-Trump figure. And so when you look at this race, it really is going to become a matter of the two candidates trying to out-Trump each other, for lack of a better term. And uh, George P. Bush is very comfortable with being a pro-Trump candidate. He spoke to Trump um, last week and uh, he's really angling for Trump's endorsement, which is obviously kind of the most crucial endorsement that uh, one can get in a Republican primary right now. And it's kind of remarkable to see him take that path because he is the son of as Trump called him, low energy Jeb Bush. And yet Trump's attacks on his family have not stopped him from aggressively courting his endorsement. And I think that that dynamic just underscores the incredible sway that Trump still has over the Republican Party. It is truly his party. Well, as you say, the lead up to November 2022 has already begun. We're going to be covering it right here on Politics Weekly Extra. Joni, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And that is all from me. Next week, we're planning to tackle the man once hailed as America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. I'll be chatting to his biographer about the metamorphosis of a politician hailed as a hero after 9-11 in the eyes of New Yorkers and even the wider world, and look at the legal hot water he finds himself in now. Just how much trouble is Rudy Giuliani in? So do make sure to listen to that. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Danielle Stevens, and I'm Jonathan Friedland. Please look after yourselves and thanks, as always, for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. 